This is Roy's Rocket Radio, recorded on Friday the 9th of January 2015, with the time coming up to uh, 25 past 10, it's about 24 minutes past 10 now. And welcome to the show, this is episode 65. I was going to do another show on Sunday, but I, as I thought I'd already written out the notes, I thought I'd do it tonight. There's not much to do anyway. And it will give me Sunday off. Not that the show is ever recorded on Sunday, of course. So, first, a bit about the podcast, if you're new to it. I've been going for about two years now. But I'm guessing that some people have just started listening to it, maybe in the new year. So this podcast is really an audio blog or a diary about the nerdy things that I like and the things that I'm working on, uh, like writing genre fiction in general, uh, which is what I'm trying to do at the moment. So the news today, for me anyway, the pers- my personal news is my nerdly consumption levels are set to low. What am I reading? Nothing. Yeah, hardly watching TV either. The Doctor Who marathon that was that I was doing last year is on a temporary hiatus. Also, my film consumption is just down to a couple, and that's generally whatever's available on TV, the occasional DVD, or a trip to the cinema. So. Like I said, the podcast is really about the things that I do, the, which I'm guessing are probably uh, of interest to other people out there, other people with similar interest to myself, uh, and cover the whole uh, gamut of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. You know, in all its forms, whether literary, uh, cinema, games, uh, even toys based on on those genre. The other thing I'd like to mention is I don't review things, not properly. I just don't have the time or, to be honest, the inclination to do so. I only really chat about them informally. If I do have a guest, as I did just a couple of days ago, I will discuss things rather than do an interview and hopefully they can weigh in on other topics discussed within the show. So that's what this podcast is all about, that's what I'm about, that's what guests do when we have them. So I suppose we better get on with things. Oh, Incidentally, I, I've tweaked the recording settings again. I know they're, they're never less, they're never that great, but hopefully it'll be better tonight. What I've done is, I've cranked up the volume. Uh, sorry, not the volume settings, but the quality settings to maximum. I'm also a bit further away from the microphone this time. So I'm really hoping that that makes a difference. If you do hear kind of a I don't know how to... Do I need to make that noise? A kind of glug, glug, glug noise. 
it's uh, it's the radiator. There's very little I can do about that. So sorry about that. Just just pretend that it's a roaring log fire and not uh, a glugging radiator. So we've got a few movies to talk about this week. I'll start with Gone Girl, two thousand and fourteen. So this film is still barely being shown in, in the cinema. You can still catch it at one or two local cinemas if you haven't already seen it. You'll probably have better luck in London. But yeah, this doesn't come out on DVD until, I don't know, I think February? Maybe March, February, something like that this year. But it is still out at the cinema which probably shows you how well it was it, it it's done. This is a horror film about the secrets behind relationships, outside appearances of both people and relationships, how the pretty and handsome shells that people wear on the outside might mean something less than savoury on the inside. Uh, less than savoury, I'm being uh, generous here. Monstrous would be a better description. The other thing I should say is this is really the worst possible movie you could watch if things are already shaky in your romantic relationship or you're just starting to date or especially if your marriage is already a bit wobbly. Uh, I w it wouldn't be the type of film you'd want to see. Not unless you had a, a, a good sense of separation from what's on the movie to what's in reality. Uh, or or you're, you're just really thick-skinned, maybe. It's The book that it's based on is technically classed as, a, uh, as being in the thriller genre. Uh, but I would say no, this really is a terrifying horror movie. I can also see how this will, and it's been nominated uh, for lots of awards, or, or at least informally nomina nominated, and I can see how it might scoop up quite a lot of awards. What I liked about this movie was that Not only were the characters and relationships hiding something underneath, the movie itself was hiding a plot underneath the main plot, and it's probably unintentional in how they did this, but because the look of the movie is so much that of a traditional thriller, in that it's very conventional looking and is filmed with really no gimmicks you think that that's the ride that you're on and it's very obvious that you're not it's something completely different it is a long film but it's one of those films that you don't really want to stop ending because you want to see what happens next what happens next what happens it's uh, I'm guessing that the thriller that it's based on is also a page turner 
which is a good thing. So that's Gone Girl 2014. I really highly recommend it. I didn't watch it for so long, although it's been out at the cinema for a, for a while, mainly because I did think it was just a thriller. I, I mean, I avoided listening to the reviews, but that's the impression I got. I thought, yeah, this is kind of just a thriller. It's not going to interest me. I was completely wrong. Next, The Guard 2011. Now, this was on TV the other day, and I'm, I've seen the clips, the trailers for this, and it wasn't really my kind of thing, or so I thought, until I started watching it. So this is a modern western set in, appropriately enough, Western Island. And it features a protagonist who is a bizarre and pettily corrupt cop, played by Brendan Gleeson, who ends up taking on some powerful and rich drug smugglers. So it's that typical kind of David and Goliath underdog story. It's, as it sounds, funny, violent, disturbing, quirky. Brendan Gleeson and Mark Strong are great. I found that, in particular, Mark Strong's nihilistic henchman made me laugh a lot. And, yeah, I I found him the the funniest character in the film. Uh, I'm quite surprised. I I haven't really seen Mark Strong do comedy before, but he he should try it more often. So, yeah, a great film, though I'm really not sure that it will do much for the Irish Irish tourism industry. Next, we have Only Lovers Left Alive. Now, I think... I think so this is a... I don't know what I meant by I think. I was going nowhere with that. Uh, so, Only Lovers Left Alive is a 2013 film by crazy-haired film uh, writer and director Jim Jarmusch, uh, the guy behind the brilliant Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai from 1999. So he writes and directs this Anglo-German production starring Tom Hiddleston, Tilda Swinton, Maya Mia Wazikowska, sorry if I've got that wrong, and John Hurt. It's about a couple of vampires, one a rock star looking sulky morose musician, uh, very like, and it escapes my memory now, the uh, the Vampire Lestat, if you remember that movie, Tom Cruise's Mate, played by uh, Brad Pitt. Oh dear, what was his name? Was it Daniel? No, it was probably something else, I've got it completely wrong, but never mind. Uh, 
And so there's there's one sulky vampire, and there's a more one other more well adapted to immortality vampire played by Tilda Swinton. Like all his films, and I'm afraid I'm going to use that word quirky again, it is quirky. But, now I'm going to be a bit critical. The script, I found that there was a lot of tell and not show in the script. I'm not sure why that is, because Jim John Mush is a good scriptwriter. Maybe it just wasn't edited well, I'm not sure. I also get the impression that the actors don't really know what they're supposed to be doing, not because they're not actors, uh, but because either, like I said before, the script, or maybe there's something off with the direction. But I did get that impression they were kind of trying to portray something that wasn't described well. A few things about the costumes. Uh, I, I do wonder why the vampires have bushy hair. Is this some idea picked up from Interview with a Vampire? Which I just mentioned before again. Uh, the other thing I noticed, I don't know if this is some continuity cock-up or, again, a direction mess or someone just forgot to go through the whole movie and and check if it was coherent but there's a scene where Tom Hiddleston and Tilda Swinton are walking around a garden in the dark so it's it's night time and you know you can't really see very well but they are vampires and they have torches and a headlamp now later in the movie it is shown that vampires in this movie can see in the dark so you've got to go back to that thing about stumbling around the garden with torches and wonder why they were doing that there is also that tired old trope trotted up about Kit Marlowe, Christopher Marlowe one of William Shakespeare's contemporaries being uh, the playwright who is truly behind Shakespeare's work. Now, I've heard this so many times that it's just annoying now. Uh, I found it interesting also that Michael Fassbender was originally earmarked for the Tom Hiddleston role, and he dropped out um, at the last moment. I don't know if if he had second thoughts or he... There was just some scheduling conflict. So that sounds like I've, I've really decimated that film, but, you know, I... I wish those problems weren't there, because despite everything, I think Tom Hiddleston does a good job of looking like a much cooler Andrew Eldritch. Uh, and now I've insulted the Sisters of Mercy, but there you go. Which is something. And Tilda Swinton basically is a vampire. She really channels it well. I thought John Hurt's performance looked a bit like a walk-on, walk-off effort, so I wasn't really that impressed. 
Uh, and, and now again I'm criticising. So Hiddleston, Swinton, good. Uh, those are two good things. Uh, the look of the film is great too. I liked the set design, I liked the props, though I did get a bit fed up with the guitar geek talk. I definitely feel that the film owes quite a bit to that earlier film, The Hunger, from 1983 with Catherine Deneuve and David Bowie. And this is a film that I really like, and I think perhaps my 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 liking of that film has overshadowed <laughs> this film and I've probably criticised it because of that. On the other hand, I do like Jim Jarmusch, but I really prefer his earlier work. I mean, I, I really love Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai. So if you haven't seen that film yet, uh, go and find it, because that's probably a better gives a better impression of Jim Jarmusch's work. So that was Only Lovers Left Alive from 2013. Uh, not a terrible movie, but good acting, nice look to the movie, um, but fairly average apart from that. Actually, a note on the, on the uh, set design um, the rooms that we see Tilda Swinton in and Tom Hiddleston in in their respective homes, uh, there is something I, I don't know if it's to do with age, but when I saw or it's to do with being a nerd or a, or any kind of gear geek. Uh, although I'm not really a, a music geek, uh, when I saw the sets, I thought, you know, that that's the kind of room that I end up living in. <laughs> you know, there's there's lots of books piled up in Tilda Swinton's room, and there's lots of guitars propped up in Tom Hiddleston's room. Uh, although I don't have. You know, I don't have that many guitars. I don't have any guitars, do I? Do I have a guitar? Yeah, I've got one guitar lying around. I've got a guitar, a uke, ukulele, a few bits of recording equipment. Yeah, has a nice, homely, cosy feel. Uh, yeah, I might not be a guitar geek, but maybe I'm a gear geek. And definitely a book geek. So, enough talking about things with the word geek in them. So that's it for movies this week. I've got a little bit just to chat really briefly about, about audio. My podcast listening habit has got ridiculous now. There are so many podcasts on my uh, computer, uh, bookmarked, you know, bookmarked the RSS feeds on, in my browser. There are just so many of them that I can't easily remember the whole list. 
I mainly listen to tech or science podcasts, uh, but I do so as a form of stress relief rather than anything else. Sometimes I'll even listen to a podcast not really for the content, but because I find the presenter's voice soothing. That sounds a bit shallow, doesn't it? But uh, there's something pleasant. If you find the right presenter's voice, the voice can waft you off to sleep. And hopefully if your subconscious picks up some of the science that they're talking about, you also wake up more intelligent. So it's a win-win thing. Books. Okay. So, not really reading anything at all at the moment. Though I'm probably, as you download this podcast, I'll be finishing a story that I've been writing called Bottles on a Sealess Shore. This is a short psychological horror story. And it's around... 5,000 words in total. Other work, other things that I'm working on. Uh, I'm working on another four short stories. They're really reworking, completely rewriting actually, of a few other short stories that I started a few years ago. Uh, And in fact, there are even some more new stories that I've started to write that I started when I was a child. I'm guessing that each story will be around 2,000 to 5,000 words long. So I'm building up a bit of a backlog uh, that I really need to find a publisher for. I'm also finally getting to grips with the draft novel that I wrote last year, or finished writing last year. I've started the submission process with a couple of paper magazines and online magazines and some publishers and agents and I'll let you know how that goes. Hopefully I'll have something to show for it. So that's the state of the work as we speak. In fact, when I go down a bit later and edit this podcast, uh, while when I finish the editing and I'm uploading the podcast, that's what I'll be doing. I'll ty- be typing out a few more words. Comics? Nope. Haven't read any since the last time I mentioned anything. And I can... I think... What did I read last? No idea. It was some kind of horror comic. Nope. It's gone. Games. Well, I haven't played any, but I do want to mention, re-mention, and I mentioned this, I think, in three different podcasts, so sorry if I'm starting to sound like a broken record. Over Christmas, I wrote a game, an interactive fiction game, using a tool called Twine. The game is called Rider in the Mist. It's a sword and sorcery Uh, game so please check out my Christmas project if you go to my website and click on bibliography it's probably the first thing on the list but what you're looking for well, depends 
it's the first thing on the list if you download this podcast in the next few days. If you don't, it'll probably drop down a few places because I'll have filled in my bibliography with some more new stuff. But yeah, if you go to my bibliography and just look for Rider in the Mist and click on the link, it will take you to the game. It will also take you to my page on the Interactive Fiction Database and to my page on Twine, on the Twine Forum. Now, yeah, I just, uh, just went to get a drink of water. You know, I had some strawberries around somewhere. How do you lose a saucer of strawberries? I'll probably find them under a cushion or, or under my beanbag or on the roof of my car or something. Oh, and the other thing I wanted to mention before I go on, I don't know if this will help the recording, uh, but if you know anything about audio, you know that the more soft furnishings and padded furniture, carpets, drapes, curtains, you have around, the better for your recording it is because it minimizes the echo. Well, I've added one more piece of uh, sound deadening gear to my uh, list of equipment and that's my dressing gown. It's one of those giant hooded furry dressing gowns. It's grey and black and it makes me look like an enormous bear. Uh, but I'm hoping a secondary effect of, you know, being nice, warm and snug is that maybe the recording will sound better. Also got a hood. I, I don't know if the hood will help. Would it help if I, I spoke from underneath the hood? Uh, if you're a sound en engineer, just let me know. So, what we're going to talk about next is the thing that's in the title of the podcast and that's really just the highlights from from CES this year that's the computer electronics show that's just taken place in Las Vegas so I must admit my enthusiasm for chatting about this show is, is down to a minimum over the past couple of years, I, I, I think I first started being really, really enthusiastic. I know when I was uh, writing my technology column, I felt like that. But gradually over the years, it kind of got a bit pedestrian and boring. But there are some uh, bits of cool tech. Uh, on the other hand, uh, there are lots of bits of uncool things, because most of it won't really be that affordable. Oh, and the other thing about uh, CES is I've never actually attended in person. Not having any money kind of puts a crimp in things, even though I'm, you know, uh, a tech uh, columnist. Despite, and this is despite the CES organisation sending me umpteen ingratiations to attend, uh, they never actually say, here's some free tickets, Roy, and uh, a free airline ticket as well and a free 
luxury room in the Luxor. No. So, I can never afford to go, and as the years go on, I have uh, less and less inclination to actually go, unless someone sponsors me to do so. Right, so enough moaning, and on with the uh, highlights of the show, what, the kind of gear they were uh, demoing this year. Uh, there, were, there was a whole load of things. There were many OLED HD televisions, so those are TVs, uh, high-definition TVs in the 4K range. So very, very high-definition television, uh, which is great, but it's a bit of a problem unless you've got uh, something like a 4K um, recorder, a camera of some kind, because there really isn't any 4K content yet. The TVs being demoed were from people like Panasonic and LG uh, and others. Uh, like I said, they're really great televisions, but they're very expensive and there's almost no 4K content. I think what would be more interesting than the TVs to talk about, though I'm not sure that that was really uh, demoed that much in CES this year, are 4K monitors, which probably are quite useful. Or at least two two point five k monitors. I think having a, a very high definition monitor, uh, especially if you work a lot, uh, spend a lot of time in front of the computer, uh, and especially if you're editing high definition videos, uh, a, a very high uh, quality monitor really is quite useful. Uh, if you've got a four k monitor or even a 2.5k monitor and you're editing say video in 1080p you can do that in a window on the machine and still have room for your other tools and uh, maybe your, you know your notepad uh, your adobe director final cut pro whatever you're using so there there are there is a use for 4k monitors or at least 2.5K monitors. Uh, I'm just not so sure that there's a use for the televisions yet. Though, I, you know, I, I was walking through the, uh, I think it was John Lewis the other day, and I saw the televisions, some of the 4K TVs uh, on display. And when they're running the demo uh, footage specifically to promote the quality of 4K. The, the pictures you do get are amazing. Um, but it, it still seems like a new and fairly unused technology. I don't know if the broadcasters are doing anything about that and planning to start filming in 4K yet. No, no idea. I know that a lot of the cameras are capable of filming 4K, but what happens typically is it's filmed in 4K, so they get the best possible uh, raw footage, and then downsampled to 1080p or something. Kind of what I've done with this uh, podcast, I'm recording at, although this is audio of course, I'm recording at 96 
kilobits per second and at 24-bit resolution which is just about as high as you can go with most recording equipment today hopefully so that I get a good signal that I can edit down into something more manageable in a podcast but it does give you the leeway if things go wrong to fiddle around a bit uh, so yeah, that things are being filmed in 4K they just, just don't appear to be uh, distributed or the final product doesn't seem to be in 4K I mean, they've got those, was it the black magic cameras filming 4K now, a few of them, and the, the red uh, cameras, the Aris, probably Bolex, although I don't know. No, digital Bolex, that rebranded camera, that's, that's not 4K, that's, what is that? stuck in my head. I know it's a Super 16 digital but I can't remember what the resolution on that camera is and now I'm straying into film geek territory so I'll stop. The other thing they had lots of were smartphones, really big smartphones. Uh, they're just getting bigger and bigger. Uh, we're just going to need bigger and bigger pockets I suppose. There were many, many new smartwatches from LG and others. Um, and talking about watches, I've taken to wearing a watch. Not a smartwatch, but something far, far more retro. I'm wearing a mechanical uh, watch from a company called Eterna. I, I don't know, I think they might be Swiss. But my watch is from... How old is it? It's probably either from the late 50s or the mid-1960s. Somewhere between 55 and 65. I think uh, a watchmaker did tell me once. But this is an inherited mechanical watch. A military watch, in fact. I think it's a British Army watch made by Turner. And then uh, sold at discounted rates to soldiers. Uh, my uncle, who was in the British Army and died a while back, uh, this was his watch, and I inherited it. So it's on my wrist. Uh, and it's not because I'm being f feeling left out by the people wearing smartwatches, it's because I got fed up of trying to find out what time it was uh, when I started and finished a podcast. But now it's easy, because I'm wearing a watch means I don't have to hunt around in my pocket for my telephone and then open up the velcro casing with a loud ratcheting scrape uh, but yeah I'm wearing a watch so maybe watches are on their way back though I'm not I'm still not sure about smart watches they seem to do, do so little um, I think it's partly due to that Dick Tracy thing that guys especially have always wanted since Dick Tracy was a TV show in the 40s or whenever it started. Uh, if you remember back, Dick Tracy is, is a cop, one of those uh, trench-coated, fedora-wearing cops. And he's a bit like Inspector Gadget. He's got a few... Uh, 
he's got a few gadgets, and one gadget he's got is a telephone watch, which at the time seemed amazing, but when you think about it, having a watch that can double as a telephone is a terrible idea. Can you imagine? You'd have to hold it up to your... You'd have to hold it up uh, in, in that manner that one looks at a watch, which is okay for a brief moment, but imagine imagine staring at the face of your smartwatch, talking to it, getting updates. Your elbow would have to be crooked at that angle. Your wrist would also have to be turned towards you. You're going to get a whole bunch of new repetitive strain injuries co coming in soon. So that should be interesting to watch. Uh, doctor, my, my Samsung watch has hurt my elbow. Uh, well, enough talk about watches. Intel also had a few things to show at CES this year. Uh, the first thing, or, or I don't know in which order they demoed them, but one thing that they talked about was the Compute Stick PC. I don't know, I get the impression... Uh, well, let's just say what it is first, then I'll moan. Uh, so this is a small, U well, actually a lot bigger than a USB stick, but it's kind of in that ballpark. So if you know what a Chromecast is, it's kind of a bit bigger than that. It runs, the, un the interesting thing though is that it runs full Windows 8.1. So not Windows RT, but full Windows, I, I believe. If I'm wrong, just, uh, you know, harass me online and tell me I'm wrong. <clears throat> but, apart from being quite a lot bigger than the Chromecast dongle, this thing also requires external USB power. So not only do you, you plug it into your HDMI socket at the back of the television, but it's not powered by HDMI. You also need to plug in another USB cable for power. Now, I'm guessing that this thing is aimed at people who want some kind of tiny, discrete media center PC plugged into their televisions. But isn't this a bit pointless? Because this thing, for a start, it costs £100. You can probably outfit an RP, uh, sorry, a Raspberry Pi to do this for a lot less. And also you would get an optimized uh, operating system that you could use for uh, a media center on your Raspberry Pi. There are a few different distributions of operating system and one of them is a rather good uh, media center setup. And of course being Linux-based, well, that that's actually, what I was about to say is completely wrong. I was going to say, being Linux-based, the RPI operating system is a lot lighter to run. That's not actually true. Um, the version of Linux that's been optimized for the Raspberry Pi runs smoothly and fast on the Raspberry Pi platform. However, Linux, in general, 
doesn't necessarily mean fast. I mean, look at Ubuntu, it's pretty heavy. But the point is, the Raspberry Pi is cheaper. Uh, it's not much difference in size. They're both, they both run off external USB power. And for a Windows machine, there's a, it's only got one gig of RAM. Now, on my netbook, which isn't particularly powerful, it's probably slightly less powerful than this compute stick PC, I'm running Windows 7. So that's full fat Windows 7 Ultimate. It is running though on 2 gig of RAM. So I don't know how good this system's going to be. And how uh, and more to the point if they're actually going to sell any. Uh, my money's still on Raspberry Pi. It's cheaper, you can fiddle with it. And it will do just about the same thing as the Intel Compute Stick. I get the feeling that, that what I was going to say at the top of this segment about the Compute Stick is I get the feeling that Intel really hates Raspberry Pi. Uh, we had the NUC platform, uh, which was also a tiny PC, but again, much more expensive than the Raspberry Pi, and I believe that's kind of gone now too. Uh, it seems that every turn that Intel have, are trying to outdo the Raspberry Pi and just haven't done so so far. More interesting though from Intel, so I'll, I'll, I'll finish with the Intel telling off now, is their second announcement which was the Curie platform. This is a new button sized computer for developers making wearables and because it's so small and self-contained, the obvious uh, conclusion you can come to is this is one step closer to the Internet of Things. Uh, and the Internet of Things is where uh, lots and lots of devices uh, have some kind of Internet connectivity. Not sure how useful that will be, but I can see it as being inevitable. Well, for, for things of a certain price anyway, I can't see that my plastic, my polypropylene garden set that I use for a desk in my bedroom, I can't believe that something that costs about £20 is going to be part of the Internet of Things. Uh, though, though I believe a guy did show... Uh, at CS this year, I think he did. He he showed an inner, an intelligent inner soul, uh, which is uh, which sounds gimmicky, but kind of cool, but a bit gimmicky. But you know, there you are. Uh, but anyway, the Curie platform will be aimed at developers. I don't know how popular it will be, but we'll have to see. It's. It really is button-sized. It's kind of halfway between a shirt button and a cardigan button. Uh, not that I wear cardigans, but there you are. Um, and we'll just have to see where that goes. So that's the Intel's Compute Stick PC and Curie platform. The other thing that was talked about was the Pono player. This was, uh, 
obviously I'm not talking about Intel anymore now. So the Pono player was announced ages ago. This is Neil Young's very high-definition music player. Uh, apparently now it's definitely coming out in February 2015. If you supported the Kickstarter, you'll eventually receive... Uh, I think it was... Uh, I can't remember the amount that you had to pay into it. to $200, $300? Uh, you would get one of these Pono players at a vastly discounted price. So the player itself is, it's actually very nice looking. I do like it. It's sausage sized, though triangular. So it's got three flat sides, uh, which is a great form factor, although it's difficult to put in your pocket. It's brilliant if you uh, have it sitting on your desk. And I tend to have uh, these music players sitting on a surface quite a lot. Uh, obviously it won't be that great in the pocket but then it's a bit big too. Um, it, the controls are very reminiscent of the a vintage iPod-like, uh, iPod player type controls. There is a little, I believe it's a colour LCD so physically it looks really nice um, and it will play 96k h sorry 96 kilobits per second 24 bit uh, files which i believe are flac files which is a uh, a non lossy format for music So it, it will play music at the same definition as the... Actually, the, the, I think I mentioned this earlier, that I'm recording this podcast also. Yeah, I did mention this earlier. I mentioned it a few minutes ago. What am I thinking of? So, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm recording this podcast at 96 kilobits per second, a 24-bit resolution, uh, which is the highest that most audio equipment will record at. And this is will be outputting at that same rate so there'll be no loss from mp3 compression the rate is much higher than even cd quality but this is really dependent not so much on the hardware but it's it's really dependent on the availability of very high definition music So to go along, I, I know there are a few different services out there, but Neil Young himself has come up with uh, his own Pono Music Store. I've got to wonder about that name, though. The Pono Music Player, the Pono Music Store, it doesn't, not very mellifluous. So I, I did go along to the Pono Music Store just to have a poke around to see what it was all about. And it is not cheap. So take, for instance, Led Zeppelin's uh, fourth album, the Deluxe Edition. 
So this is the album that has things like famous bits of music like Black Dog, Stairway to Heaven. Uh, so it's one of the good Led Zeppelin albums. Uh, it costs in US dollars twenty-seven forty-nine. That's in British pounds. That's eighteen pounds fifty. Now I'll give you that it is high definition. It's already been pre-ripped to a digital format, so you don't have to contend with turning uh, ripping a CD at a very high bit rate and making sure your uh, output is good. You don't have to do that yourself, you just download it ready-made. But on Amazon this same CD costs $12.99 and being a CD obviously it's still at very high quality if you uh, if you rip it in any of the programs like uh, what was that program that we all use I haven't used it for so long but there, there are CD ripping programs that will rip your CD into a file that you can play on your media player at very high lossless definition not at the level that the Pono store does but still a very high rate so the, the question is are will people be willing to buy their music again um, we'll just have to wait and see um, I must admit given that my music collection isn't massive, I mean my physical music collection uh, and although I do have high definition rips of CDs that I used to own they're not at the rate, they're not even near the rate that the Pono Music Store offers so for someone who maybe is uh, wanting to really have start a music collection maybe that will appeal to them I can't see that audio files who already have the vinyl will be that interested. The other thing apart from the price is how many bands or record companies has Neil Young got in on the deal? If it's only the big bands, people like Led Zepp, uh, ACDC I'm presuming, if you're into rock, um, I'm not sure that I don't know, I mean that would be great, but I'd like them to have a really huge selection of music. Uh, I also listen to a lot of classical music, so that it would be nice to have some pieces uh, also available in really high definition. So yeah, we'll have to work. And, and what about the... Okay, so I like classical music, I like rock music, but there are other genres of music, like Moorish and Sega. Now, for, for fairly... I'm guessing that there's not a million listeners of Sega, but for people who like it, are they also going to have the possibility of getting this music in such high definition? Is Neil Young going to be interested enough to engage the smaller musician? I just don't know. I think he does have an opportunity to do something really different here though. Uh, 
um, because I, I always thought that Apple would be the first to uh, offer lossless downloads, but this this has never materialised. So there is an opportunity for the Pono Music Store. We'll just have to wait and see. Now, I've been kind of mixed in favour and out of favour with the Pono Player and the P Pono Music Store, but there is one really strong criticism I have of the music store itself. I, I find it... Actually, this is a, one unbelievably stupid aspect of the store, is that you can't preview the music in Firefox. Seriously, you can't use the world's second most popular browser. Now, this sounds like an unbelievable blunder. I, I can't understand how how this would be the case uh, so I've <laughs> I've said in my podcast in my podcast notes it, it says here fix this Neil fix this um, and also the other part of the shouty rant that I wanted to aim at Neil Young is can you do something about the pricing and now that I think about it can you also make sure that there is a very wide and varied catalogue that will appeal to everyone But first of all, really fix that problem with Firefox. You know, you're launching in a few days and it still doesn't work with Firefox. Come on! Okay. So that's all I have to say about CES this year. Uh, now, in our after show section, I just wanted to talk about show restructuring. I think next time we, I have a podcast now for Roy's Rocket Radio, the next Roy's Rocket Radio podcast will be structured rather differently. I think what I've got to do is split the show into a work section where I, where I talk about what I'm writing because I've noticed that many of the shows where I talk about what I'm doing to get published seem to be more popular than the shows where I just talk about tech, cinema, and nerd stuff in general. Um, but anyway, now that I'm doing more work of my own, you can see how it's getting all a bit mixed up, and it would be nice to have to, to somehow clearly separate uh, my work from the stuff I like. I also know that I'm getting to the stage where the show could be split into basically three different shows, which would be what I'm doing, what I'm playing, reading, watching, uh, as I've just said, but also uh, a third strand could be a standalone technology show. Because it's somehow incongruous that in the title of my podcast it always says UK science fiction, fantasy, horror and technology podcast. What I'm really trying to say is it's aimed at people who are extremely nerdy. But I can see how there could be a separate show, especially because we talked about CES so much this week. But the truth is that I don't have the time 
and this show makes no money. It makes no money whatsoever. In fact, it's a drain on Expenses own time, and the only reason I do it is because it's an outlet for me to talk about stuff that I would normally be blogging about. And the reason I'm blogging less is because I'm writing more, and my hands need a rest. <laughs> But the good thing is that you will only have to listen to me maybe waffle on uh, either about once a week. And the other thing is, if you only listen to one or very few podcasts, the good thing about this podcast is it's the one podcast that covers it all. So you're not just getting technology, you're getting entertainment. The other thing is, it's one of the few podcasts that has been recorded in more than one country. Uh, this has been, when I was living in Mauritius, this was also recorded in Mauritius, which gave you a bit of local flavour. Uh, and who's to say that, although now we're recording in the UK, who's to say that there won't be another few shows recorded from another country uh, sometime in the future. I mean, if I go on holiday, I, I certainly will podcast. So that's something a bit different. It's kind of the great nerd roadshow. Uh, now I'm wondering if I should copyright that phrase. No, you can't copyright everything. Finally... The Doctor Who Marathon, what happened to that? What happened to the Doctor Who Marathon that I was doing last year? Well, the last thing that I did in the Doctor Who Marathon was talk about the Peter Cushing amicus film, Doctor Who and the Daleks. Uh, and that was after going through the entire series of uh, William Hartnell's Doctor Who haven't got on to Patrick Troughton yet and I'm not promising but that may come back it just depends on how busy I am when I started the podcast I didn't think that writing would take up so much time uh, so what an idiot I was now I've got one apology to make and that's to one of my friends who might be listening he told me a while back that he liked my podcast but one of the problems he had with it was that my voice sounded too boring too monotone I think is what he meant um, although probably boring is preferable because if it was monotone it could be creepy and I could sound like Rosa from uh, The Watchmen <laughs> but no, I yeah I get that and I apologise, it's mainly because I'm a bit tired and we just did a podcast a couple of days ago with author Andy Robb, which you might want to check out and that was such a long podcast that my throat feels a bit tired so hence uh, the, the unchirpiness of my voice which I hope will change next time and I'll sound a lot more like Robin rather than Batman. 
Okay, so that's it for the show. This was Roy's Rocket Radio, recorded on Friday the 9th of January 2015. This was episode 65, and I am Roy Matur. You can find me at roymatur.com, that's R-O-Y-M-A... Oops, sorry, I don't even know my own website. R-O-Y-M-A-T-H-U-R.com There's a million ways to connect with me, and I really would like to hear from some listeners. So please go to the website and connect with me on Twitter, or you can use an email form that's also available there, or you can follow me on Pinterest, or connect with me on Pinterest, uh, chat with me on Skype. There's a whole bunch of options. The one option there isn't, though, is don't try... You can chat with me using the Facebook chat protocol, but don't try and send me anything on Facebook, because I won't get it. I almost never look at Facebook anymore. The only reason I still have it is so that I can use the uh, that chat protocol that they use to connect with people. So, that's it for the show. Thanks for listening. And with the time at 11.27, that's it from Roy's Rocket Radio this week. So, bye.